Hello and welcome to Connected episode 250. It's a big, big number this week. It is made possible by our sponsors, Squarespace, Away, and Astropad Studio. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined this week by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I am doing uh, doing well. It is an even episode. So you were first. So this is now where I would introduce Mike if he could be bothered to join us. But he's... Uh, He's traveling. In pure connected tradition, we have a big anniversary and Mike is not here or yeah. it's not the three of us, uh, which is, you know, we don't like anniversaries. We don't. We don't we, it's basically a, a really complex strategy to avoid having to buy gifts mm. for each other. <laughs> it's like when you when your anniversary, Stephen, is coming up next mm-hmm. year, you should be traveling or you should be like <laughs> just don't show up at your house for a couple of days and just pretend wow. that it, it's passed and, and the anniversary is gone. No gift. See? Well, usually, I think this came out in our live show, usually WWDC falls on my anniversary, which is the, the first week of June. But uh, and next year, I'm just scrolling in calendar, uh, June 1st is a Monday. So like, is mm. WWDC going to be like June 1st through 5th? Or will it be what I think it's going to be the 8th through the 12th? Like starting it the first day of June just seems... Weird? So I don't know. We'll see. I could be with y'all or I could be at home with my spouse. Time will tell. Hmm. Anyways. All right. We'll see. WWDC 2020 coverage already starting. We have some follow-up and I want to start with Catalyst. I wanted to point people to this really excellent article over on Ars Technica. Uh, Samuel Axon wrote this and they had access to some Apple executives, some Apple engineers, as well as some third-party developers talking about Catalyst, how it works, some experiences with it. But I think what's most interesting is the way Apple views Catalyst. And I think John made this point in his article a couple of weeks ago on your site. Like Apple did it. I don't think Apple did a very good job explaining like the importance of Catalyst at WWDC. And they sort of do that in this article. And I'm curious what you thought about that. Yeah, I think um, they should have, they should have done more. They should have, uh, and and I get it. I get the feeling that it was maybe originally part of the plan, but as we all know, the keynote was so long that a bunch of things were cut and saved for things like the State of the Union, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, even shortcuts, which is now built into the system, barely. I think it was only barely mentioned during the keynote, and um, so I feel like maybe getting more in in detail about podcasts, for example, which is an example of of Apple adopting a feature-rich iOS app to the Mac with Catalyst and some custom code. That would have been that would have been a fascinating discussion. Um and I feel like, you know, having having more demos, having more developers. Um I saw on Twitter a few days ago, actually I think Steve Trotton Smith sent me the the link to this tweet, the um vector nader. It's an excellent vector drawing app for iPad. Uh, it's coming to the Mac with Catalyst, and you know that could have been that could have been a great example of an iPad productivity app coming to macOS. And so it, it felt to me when we saw this story, and when John decided to link to this story, we had originally in the in the original post, uh, John said something along the lines of, "It feels like Apple is sort of doing damage control um, with these Catalyst stories coming out." But then the author reached out to us and said that the interview uh, was conducted during WWDC and that the release schedule on Ars Technica was related to other um, time to other publication problems or scheduling 
testing things that they had going on. So maybe it's not that much control, but I feel like Apple should be doing some of that regardless. I feel like um, they should be advocating for uh, some developers to consider adopting Catalyst. And just today, for example, we saw the news that um, GoodNotes, which is one of the most popular iPad apps, it's a note-taking and sketching and drawing app for iPad, they already have a Mac version. But it's so uh, so far behind the iPad counterpart that they, they, they just announced they are abandoning the existing AppKit-based Mac app and they are relaunching GoodNotes on the Mac using Catalyst, which of course will require users to use Catalina. It will not be compatible with older versions of macOS, but it's yet another example of a developer saying, in this case, we actually have a Mac app already, but it, we feel like we want to unify the code base, we want to save time, we want to make sure that it's one experience across platforms. And so that sort of message, I feel like Apple should have probably shared and, and stressed a bit more at WWDC. Yeah, the GoodNotes blog post is really interesting because you said, like you said, they have an existing Mac app. So Catalyst just isn't for people or developers or companies that like, like Twitter, for instance, which is in the Ars Technica article, Apple mentioned them as well. Twitter got out of the Mac app game a couple of years ago, and they're going to bring their iPad app, for better or for worse, to the Mac with Catalyst. This is not that. GoodNotes exists on the Mac. Like you said, it's behind. It's not as good. And so the developers seem to, to lay out the case in their blog post that it actually makes more sense for us as developers to move our iOS app over than to keep two separate code bases trying to build features in two different frameworks, two different ways of doing things. I think that's really interesting, and my guess is that GoodNotes is sort of the, the tip of the spear. You know, I think all three of us on the show are pretty optimistic about Catalyst, and GoodNotes, I mean, like you said, it's a very popular app. That's for a reason. It's really good, and for them to to be willing to, to go to this on day one, uh, that, that means a lot, I think, and it speaks a lot to the technology at hand. Uh, they're also doing, they have a, uh, if you Look at this. They have an early access program. Uh, They're going to send out invites to check out the beta. So I signed up for this because I want to play with some Catalyst apps uh, on Catalina. So if you're interested in that, go check out this post. It's in the show notes. Uh, And I think we're going to see more of these blog posts as the summer wears on. Yeah. All right. So moving on from Catalyst, we had a listener question. This uh, came in an email and uh, I thought I'd just put it in follow up just because we don't really have a home for this on the show. Uh, but this was a listener questioner from Jared, and it was written to you, but but sent to me. So when Federico goes to the beach, does he take a HomePod or two? Yeah, no. Uh, Sylvia hates the HomePod so much. I feel like um, I I couldn't just do this to her, you know, to, to bring over Siri to the beach too. Feels like going to the beach house is Sylvia's opportunity to, to get rid of Siri. Uh, mm. She really fundamentally despises the HomePod as a product. <laughs> and the fact that we have three of them um, because of my decision doesn't help. Um, it's something that, um, you know, she's still upset about. Rightfully so, because she doesn't like it. Um, she continues to be an Amazon Echo person, even though we don't have them anymore. She's uh, nostalgic about it. So, um, yeah. But, but, I mean, for my my excuse is that for work-related reasons, uh, we cannot get rid of the HomePod. You could make the case that maybe three of them were not necessary, but that's a different discussion. 
<laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, thank you, Jared, for that little insight into the Vitici household. Yeah, Jared, you, you touched on a, on a, it's a, it's a whole, a real nerve. It's, <laughs> it's a whole story, Jared. <laughs> it's a whole story. In the realm of follow out, where we talk about things other places, I wanted to point people to App Stories episode 118, where you and uh, John get into reminders on iOS 13. I'm just so excited about reminders. And I think y'all did a good job of saying areas that it could improve. Like there's basically no tagging support and some of the other things are a little weird. But it seems like Apple has a real contender on their hands, doesn't it? Yeah, it's um, there, there's a there's a few things that I still believe need to be rectified, and we're gonna talk about it later when we talk about the iOS 13 beta. But it feels like um, they are, uh, you know, I'm I'm trying this app as my main to do list app right now. And I think I'm, I should be able to stick with it uh, for the future. I don't know if if the reminders update is, of course, the app is all new, and of course, it, it's completely different from before. I still, I'm still not sure whether it, it it can be considered as massive as the notes update uh, from iOS nine. Mostly because it it still feels like one part of reminders, which would be the inspector and and I guess also list management could have used a bit more love, especially when inspecting um, uh, additional details about a reminder. Um, it's still a bit clunky. There's a lot of fields, you know, uh, a lot of toggles. It it could be sped up, and and basic things like. Um, you cannot sort your lists, for example. Like, there's a you know, if <laughs> that's it, all I it, want. It's my only feature requirement. <laughs> we're gonna talk about it later, but um, I mean, I I like everything else. So the, the look of the app, the the visual attachments, the links, the the folders, the new icons, the colors. It's really well done. Probably not as not as groundbreaking, and because really looking back at notes, that was one massive update. You know, you got yeah, yeah, the, the new UI, the folders, the the new the attachments, the pencil, uh, the new editing UI. It, that was really an incredible update. This one maybe not as big as as notes in iOS nine, but definitely you know, and maybe of course not as big as Safari on iPad, but it's also very it's still very good. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, thank you for mentioning the App Stories episode. We're gonna, we're taking a look at a bunch of apps uh, this summer. Uh, yeah, on on App Stories uh, because it's what we do. So uh, I'm using Reminders right now. Uh, again, we're gonna talk about it in a few minutes. We're gonna talk about the iOS 13 and iPadOS beta. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I really like what I see so far. Cool. It feels like in a in a less busy year, Reminders would be a bigger deal. But I kind of feel bad that mm-hmm. it's sort of <laughs> taking the back seat in some of the coverage because there's so much other stuff. Yeah, that's also probably it, I think, especially when compared to Safari and, and everything else sure. going on. Yeah. Yeah. Safari is very good in iPadOS. <laughs> it's very good. Uh, just a quick reminder that we will be doing our live show in San Francisco to celebrate the network's fifth birthday. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. We'd love to have you there. So people are traveling for it. We're going to have a lot of hosts there, as many hosts as we can. Uh, cram into San Francisco will be there. So uh, be sure to go check that out. I wanted to, uh, I got a tiny topic for you. Tiny topic. Okay. A tiny topic from a tiny Tiny. computer. 
This is a weird one. So uh, there's a link over on Mac Rumors, and uh, it's outlining uh, some issue with the the new MacBook Air, so that 2018 you know Thunderbolt MacBook Air, the Retina one. And it seems like, and quote, a very small number, unquote, have a, some sort of logic board problem. But Apple, A, this isn't public. Ooh, that sounds bad. This isn't public. So Apple, this is just internal and Mac rumors obviously has sources. Apple is contacting owners of the machines that have this problem. They will replace the logic board for up to four years out of warranty. My wife has one of these computers. I have, we have not gotten an email about it. So I guess she's in the clear. But they're not saying what the problem is. It's very strange. It's like, oh, some of these systems have a problem. We won't tell you what it is. We'll only tell you if you are affected by it. I don't know. It's strange. I'd be very curious if someone out there listening has gotten one of these emails yet, (laughs) what what the deal is. But it's just like a a secret MacBook Air repair program. And uh, this now means that every – well, the MacBook Air was already under a repair program for the keyboard. But every single Apple notebook there is sold has some sort of recall or issue, it seems like, even the old 2015 with the battery. So uh, I don't know what the deal is, but um, MacBook Air having some sort of secret problem. Very small number of people, mm. secret problem. If only this was the kind of company that, you know, put more emphasis on operations, maybe this wouldn't happen. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. In a second. We do have another tiny topic, and this is one that is much more in your wheelhouse than mine. Uh, but Apple announced Up Next Live. So back in the day, Apple had these, uh, what was it called? iTunes something? iTunes Festival. iTunes Festival. Festival. And uh, that's been gone a couple of years now, and they seem to be replacing it this year yeah. with Up Next Live. So what is this about? Um, so Up Next Live is basically a series of, um, I wouldn't say concerts, but more intimate, like smaller venue performances that are uh, taking place at select uh, Apple Apple retail stores or you know town squares wherever you want to call them around the world. Uh, one of them is Milan, actually Milan has the super beautiful uh, Piazza Liberty um, store. Well, you know with the with the square outside with the fountain outside, it looks really good. Um, so here's what I want you to do, Stephen. Okay, I want you to go through the list of these artists uh-huh. playing for Up Next Live mm-hmm. and. Tell our <laughs> listeners who they are. I don't know. I don't think I know any go of them. Through the, go through the list. I want you to go through the list. There's a Bad Bunny wearing cool sunglasses. <laughs> yes. Some sort of uh-huh. hat situation. Bad Bunny. So, yes. There's a Jesse Rez wearing a flannel shirt. She's looking very intensely uh-huh. at the camera. There's King Princess uh-huh. in a green shirt. Again, looking very intensely at the camera. Uh, there's uh, Who else is here? We have uh, Louis Capaldi playing in Paris yes. and uh, uh-huh. in a black shirt and his hair is kind of messy. You have Daniel Caesar in an awesome hat. I'd wear that hat. Kind of a cool hat, beige hat. He's looking down as if someone dropped something off screen. And so like he's sort of looking down at Ashley McBride's text label on the ticketing website. Um, she's there as well. So uh, there's a bunch of people here. Yeah. And Khalid, of course. Oh, yes. Uh, I didn't scroll. Yeah. Look, there's more. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the only name I recognize. You ever heard of? Or the only oh, name okay. I know. You've heard of Khalid. Okay. Sure. Okay. Good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're all quite popular, actually. And these are all artists that have been featured um, on Apple Music, either for uh, Up Next. So Up Next is, is the name of the feature in the music app. Is also It's also the name of the 
program uh, where Apple basically highlights up and coming artists on Apple Music. So up next is really a bunch of things. Um, but yeah, there's a, you know, Bad Bunny Milan. That's if I had the time, I should, I could probably consider that. Uh, oh, I don't remember what it was called, but back in the day, Apple sometimes would have bands come play inside Apple stores. I remember Lincoln Park did one and they recorded it and like put it on iTunes. Yes. This kind of reminds me of that. iTunes Sessions? No, I think iTunes Sessions are like EPs and stuff, but they're not recorded in stores. There was a name for it if you were recorded in stores. Let's see. Apple I'm surprised you don't know store, this information. Live, m- live concert. Maybe it's called Apple Store Live. Lincoln. <laughs> Always on. Apple Live. Apple at Lincoln Park. <laughs> let's see. iTunes Live is what it was called. iTunes Live. iTunes Live? Really? Mm-hmm iTunes Live. Uh, okay. And that was done inside the Apple Store. Yes, I'm uh, putting uh, a link in the chat room and in the show notes right now. Interesting. So you can go learn about that. Yeah, I, I like this sort of thing, right? Apple is into music and they like, uh, this is cool. This is the type of things that I like seeing from from the company. It's neat. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, one of the, I think we discussed this uh, a while back, Um Basically, at this point, all the major music streaming services, they offer the same catalog. Right. And so how do you differentiate? You know, how do you convince people to sign up for Apple Music instead of Spotify or instead of YouTube Music or instead of Deezer or whatever? Um, This is one of the, the, you know... uh, services that you can offer to differentiate, to diversify, to offer performances, to offer, to have the Up Next program, highlight new artists. And a good example could be, for example, you've heard of Billie Eilish, right? Yes. Uh, you've heard of her. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in that case... Um, Apple collaborated with Billie Eilish and, you know, they, they collaborated with the, with the label for a couple of years to sort of make this big push for Billie's first album that came out a few months ago. And Billie was featured in Up Next. She'd done a couple of songs for Apple for to use in commercials. So that kind of... Um, I hate to use this term, but synergy. Mm. Uh, it, mm-hmm. I know, I know, I know. Collaboration, call it whatever you want to call it. Uh, but the idea of using Apple Music as a platform rather than just a service, because anybody can do this, can do a service, right? You sure. got 12, 15 services, but, um, you know, can you use it as a platform? Can you use it for exclusive things or performances or collaborations of this kind and uh, it's also why i still think that you know the itunes festival as an idea was good the idea of having like a week of concerts uh it's something that i wish that apple would explore again uh sort of uh you know apple's version of coachella but for apple music um you know doing the performances around the apple source yeah, apple source is cool Doing a festival is better. It's you know doing a week of concerts is better, uh, and it's also you know the you got that brand recognition going on. You got you know uh, there's there's a few things that you could try to uh, to tie that to Apple Music, uh, make it exclusive. You know you could do video streaming, you could do playlists, you could do all sorts of things, um, and maybe you could give away HomePods. Uh, at the concert i don't mm. know uh, you could like shoot them out of cannons at people and and you're gonna kill somebody if you do that <laughs> really <Super> heavy dangerous <laughs> <laughs> really heavy so hopefully they, they won't do that but yeah i think it's it's very nice to see these all of these events surrounding apple music all of these initiatives surrounding the streaming service it makes it makes it feel like 
I'm paying for a service, but I get an experience, mm. uh, which of course, in this case, it depends on actually going to the store. Right. But uh, in a broader discussion of Apple Music is the app on my phone, but it's also this whole collection of events and artists doing exclusive things and music videos. And now, you know, real-time lyrics. Um, we've talked about this when we talked about the feature of Apple services, the idea of diversifying to go beyond just streaming an album or streaming a song. So this is the kind of thing that I would like to see more and more. All right. We have a lot more to talk about. I want to tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Squarespace. Think about a project that you want to do. And if it's online, it probably has multiple components. Maybe you want to start a blog to talk about your talk about your favorite subject or work you're doing. Maybe you need a portfolio to show off uh, that work. And maybe you want a store to sell it. Well, you don't have to build three different sites. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of that stuff under a single roof. There's nothing to install. There's no patches to worry about. You don't have to become some sort of server admin, you know, installing upgrades in the middle of the night because Squarespace simply has all that stuff covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They allow you to quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Just last night, I got an email from somebody. Uh, they want to start a podcast, and they wanted to know where I recommended uh, you know, building a website. And there's lots of services for that. And my answer basically is always Squarespace because you get a website that you can customize really easily, make it look like your own. But they have the file uploads and the RSS support and everything you need to make a podcast. And I think that's a great place to get started. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash connected. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code connected to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show you support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash connected and the code connected to get 10% off your first purchase. I'd like to thank Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. I want to wind the clock back, Federico, okay. to the beginning of the year when we made our annual predictions. Oh, God, it's going to do it again. And I said, it is a non-graded extra pick, so that's we don't have to get into your conspiracy about points. But I said that someone on Apple's executive website would leave or be fired. Now, this is already green in the document because uh, changes at Apple retail. But last week, the news broke that Johnny Ive is leaving Apple. How many people have to leave Apple for you to stop doing this? Hey, I, you know. Everybody? <laughs> shut it down. <laughs> Out of business. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about here. There are a bunch of links in the show mm -hmm. notes to various articles yeah. and, and stuff. I don't think we necessarily need to cover the news because at this point, anyone who listens Connected knows this. But I'm really curious what, uh, what you think about it. How does this strike you? Of course, when I... When I saw the news i was very surprised and quite shocked actually same um, same so i'm gonna skip over the part of course everybody was surprised and all of that but i've been struggling with forming an opinion about this and then let me explain why okay there are times so in doing my job I, I have a website, we cover Apple News. I personally tend to focus on apps and iOS and iPad and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes when something happens and we need to cover that news or that event, 
sometimes I struggle to have an opinion about it, like a personal opinion, like what, what do I think about this? And usually, and of course this happens in real life as well, like when I, when I hear something about politics on the news or some other event that happened, in, you know. And my problem is that when I don't have the perspective necessary for me to have an opinion, I prefer, and I've always been this way, I prefer to just shut up and not say anything mm-hmm. because it feels like anything that I say, and it's not that I don't want to be criticized. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with people disagreeing with me. I just don't know what to say because I don't know the facts. I don't know. I don't have the perspective. I don't have the insight or maybe it just doesn't interest me. Uh, and in this case, and there's an article from from Panzerino um, and a tweet from Rene Ricci that he, that he, that I retweeted today um, that I would like to to point to to our uh, listeners too. Um, okay. The thing is, maybe yes, Johnny Ive, uh, you know, became increasingly detached uh, from Apple uh, to the point where he just didn't want to work there anymore. Maybe, and, and, and you can make the argument that, you know, um, maybe this is going to be a problem for Apple not to have Johnny Ive. I'm sure there will be consequences. I'm sure that his leave will, be, will have repercussions that will be felt for the next few years. But then again, it's not like Johnny Ive. And, and, and this is not like, this is a, something that I see on Twitter being brought up from a few folks. You either are a critic or you are an apologist. This is a word that I've seen thrown around time and time again this week. Uh, being a critic or being an apologist. And I think sometimes it's fine if you're not neither of those things. Um, I'm sure that there will be consequences for Johnny Ive leaving. I'm sure that there are other designers at Apple. I, I, if you leave, if you if you believe that, um, you know, the iPad, the iPhone, the iMac, the Mac Pro were designed by a single person, you need to get rid of that delusion. It's not how big companies operate. There are dozens, probably hundreds of designers working at Apple. Sure. A single figure, a single charismatic figure is important, but it's not like design is over at Apple. Uh, it's not like design has suddenly stopped because Johnny Ive is not driving the design bus anymore, right? There are other people that, can, that, that have been doing design at Apple. Um, and so I feel like I've been on Twitter, right? Uh, I read a lot of tweets. I read a lot of, uh, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I've, I've read a lot of blog posts about this. Mm-hmm. And it feels like some people are compelled to just have an opinion as long as they have one that they can exchange for attention. And, and, and I, that, that's the reason why we've been relatively quiet on Mac stories about this. That's why I have personally been quiet about it because I don't know whatever happened inside of Apple. Um, maybe I'm not a, I'm not good enough of a reporter. Maybe I, I just don't have enough friends who work at Apple in the design department. I don't know. I just feel like, is it a, is this the end of Apple? Is this the end of design? Is this just another transition? I think sometimes it's fine to not have an opinion right away. Wait 
few years, few months, I don't know how long, until you get that perspective that allows you to say, yeah, maybe things did change for the worse or for the better, who knows? I think having this, you know, proclaiming right now that, uh, you know, declaring that Apple and design are over, um, you know, these things, they usually don't age well. Mm-hmm. And it makes me, you know, and, and I see people attacking each other on Twitter and making fun of each other. That's not, you know, I don't want to be part, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, so my personal take on this is a very l- long answer to what was originally a simple question from you, Stephen. <laughs> I, I just want to, I just want no, but I wanted to share it because it's been on my mind for the past week. And yeah. this is, the, Connected is the best place to share these thoughts. Sometimes I just want to sit back and read and learn and wait. There are other people that can, that can have these opinions in a, that can share them in a better way than me. Uh, maybe I'm too young. Maybe I'm too inexperienced. But I don't know. See, I don't know. What does it mean? I don't know. Uh, I'm sure, you know, my, the only thing that I know right now is that I'm sure it'll be different, but I don't believe in this uh, conversation that is happening right now that you either think this is a good thing and therefore you are an apologist or... It's either the worst thing that could ever happen and therefore you are a critic. And Rene, uh, let me actually, you know, this is a, something that's on my mind a lot. Um, he said that negativity isn't honesty and cynicism isn't intelligence. And this is something that is on my, like, I, I think about all the time. I see some people that they think they're honest and that they are jur- better journalists because they are constantly negative. Uh, and in this case, specifically, we are talking about Apple. You could apply the same metric to maybe other tech companies or maybe to folks who write about Nintendo or Sony or Microsoft, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and that being, uh, you know, c- cynicism is a, is a symptom of intelligence. I don't think that that is true. I think you can be positive and honest at the same time. I think you can be optimistic and intelligent at the same time of course so um my personal take i just want to wait because i don't know what to think right now and i think that's i think that's fine i don't think you know we have this economy of hot takes going on this past couple of years on uh, about apple on twitter i don't want i don't want to be part of any of that personally so that's my answer. <laughs> I actually agree with all of that. I wrote a little bit about about it the day of, and I kind of wish I hadn't, but it's published, so it'll stay published. Yeah. <laughs> but but at the same time, I stand by what I said of like, this means change, and I'm excited to see what that change means. I still agree with all that. This is one of those cases, and this happens every once in a while with Apple and other companies, of course, where you can use a new story to fit the narrative you want to mm. espouse or, mm. or share, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. and we're not going to get into all the media drama between like the Wall Street Journal and Tim Cook. Like I just, I I don't care. But people can weaponize these stories to to fit their uh, their narrative. And and honestly, like people on 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 the side of this is the end of the world or this is the best thing ever, 
they both believe that the same amount. And honestly, there's merits on both sides, probably. But people take things to the extreme. I think the reality will be that this will mean some changes that we don't foresee and some changes we may actually never see because it's internal to Apple. At the end of the day, uh, I just I don't Apple is too big with too much momentum to be knocked off course in a rapid fashion. And while people have left the design studio, the people who are still there, for the most part, have been there a long time. And, you know, um, and and the people now leading these things have been there a long time. And, and it's not like all of the DNA that was there, you know, under previous administration is gone. And I think that means things will probably be be fine. I think it's also interesting, and it has not really been much uh, in the coverage that, that I've seen, at least. You know, Alan Dye is a pretty well-known name. Uh, he was in some of the press for the Apple Watch stuff, uh, and he is in charge of the uh, the human interface design, um, which is, he's been over, but sort of in the PR release and kind of public. Um, but Evan Sankey is now the vice president of industrial design, and that is... Great. She's been there a long time, but it also means that there is sort of a formal position on the des- on the design leadership team uh, that's held by a woman, and that's excellent because Apple struggles with that at their highest level. Still, they've made progress, but not enough. And even though these executives don't answer directly to Tim Cook, mm-hmm. it does make the decision the like, sort of the official titled decision making body uh, a tad bit more diverse, and that's something that is always good. And I mean, I'm just gonna bring this up. Um, you have to wonder if some of the backlash that we've seen about the, about the decision to make her, uh, you know, at the very uh, at the leadership of the design team is because she's a woman mm-hmm. you know this this undercurrent of sexism sexism in in some uh, areas of the of the tech community and specifically the apple community i sometimes i see tweets go by i see blog posts go by and i wonder is that really like are you justifying you know the fact that you don't like that she's a woman and she's not replacing johnny ivans necessarily but she's in charge of uh, of design now um which of course is is that's terrible that's awful and i you know and i wish that some people were better than that um but it, it is what it is and and uh, apple appointing her to the leadership of the design team that's a that's an excellent sign and and you know judging from the reports that we've seen uh she's got a lot of experience she's been doing this for years she's been managing the design team for a while so it makes total sense um once again, some people think that uh, this is actually for the better. Some people think that if, if you say that you are being paid by Apple, um, like I'm not, I'm not joking. Uh, some people think that. I don't want to be part of that discussion at all. I don't want to even touch it with the stick. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, some people have wild ideas. I prefer to wait and see where how things shake. I realize it doesn't make necessarily for it's you know saying oh we just want to wait and and get some perspective and and think about it. it doesn't make for you know <laughs> doesn't make for page views <laughs> or video views or whatever. And it's fine. It's fine. Um, it's it's uh you know one of those things where I'm gonna look back. At my site in a few years, I will see an absence of, uh, you know, 
there will be no no hot takes that I will regret and I will be happy mm-hmm. because it means that I thought about it. I wish more people would do that, but if they don't, it's fine. It's their life. It's their decision. So whatever. I would add, if you haven't read anything or you haven't particularly read Matt's article on TechCrunch, that's in the show notes. That's the best take I've read. So yeah, Johnny Ive, moving on. And so... So must we, Federico. Mm-hmm. So must we. So we're going to talk about the iOS 13 uh, developer beta 3. It dropped yesterday. But first, let me tell you about our second sponsor, and that is Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase, and now they offer a range of essentials that solve real-world travel problems. Of course, that luggage is loaded with features. The Away carry-on comes in an array of colors, two sizes, and two materials so you can customize and get exactly what you want. And it's lightweight and durable, made to last for a lifetime of travel. I've put a lot of miles in my Away carry-ons over the last couple years, and they look like they're brand new. Away has a 100-day trial that lets you try any Away product on the road, and it comes with a lifetime warranty, meaning they'll fix or replace your bag if it ever gets damaged. So you've got the carry-on, and now they have the bigger carry-on, which is one size up to make the most of an overhead bin. Like I said, they're designed to last a lifetime. They have the 100-day trial, and they have free shipping within the U.S., Europe, and Australia. In my household, we have several away suitcases. They seem to be multiplying, but we have the carry-on, and uh, we just used it on our recent trip to WWC. My wife took it as her suitcase. It's just so easy to move through airports with that thing. The features are great, and if you're like me and you're an overpacker, you can squeeze everything in. They have that, that compression system inside that's really spectacular. So go check it out. And for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash connected and use the promo code connected during checkout. Once again, that's awaytravel.com slash connected and the promo code connected during checkout for $20 off a suitcase. Thank you so much to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. So iOS developer beta three is out as of mm-hmm. my speaking th- into this microphone, public beta two is not out, but I assume that would be soon. Maybe, I don't know. It's a holiday week here in the U S so maybe it'll be uh, a few more days, but the beta three is out. You're on the developer track. Uh, so I want to see h- how you think about the changes, but there, there are a couple of features I wanted to point out first, uh, you know, still in the beta cycle, they still are tweaking things. Uh, the first one came uh, to us via Twitter by somebody named Federico Vitici. I'm not sure mm-hmm. who that guy is. But iPad OS 13 Beta 3 shows which app in Split View is actively receiving text text input, which is really good. So tell us about this. How, how have they done it, and do you think it goes far enough? So this has been a problem since Split View was introduced in iOS 9 in 2015. That basically, with two apps active at the same time, you will have no obvious indication of which one was actively receiving text input from an external keyboard or from the software keyboard. Um, I've I've had a few people say to me on Twitter, well, why would you need that? You got the cursor. Uh, Yes, of course, but... Here's the problem. If you work with an iPad and an external keyboard, we're not just talking about text input. We're also talking about which app is currently listening for keyboard shortcuts. Mm -hmm. How many times have you found yourself using split view, holding down the command key or performing a keyboard shortcut only to realize the wrong app is currently considered the active one from the system? So 
Here's what Apple needs to fix, and here's what they're doing with the uh, with uh, with iPadOS 13. Now, in this beta, uh, what we got is there's a pill-shaped indicator at the top, which is the same indicator that you drag to um, remove an app from split view and make it either in full screen or slide over. Um, when you switch between apps. Uh, either by tapping the screen or using command tab, I guess, that indicator flashes briefly and changes, I guess, the opacity. Uh, the color of the indicator itself uh, changes from the uh, between the app on the left and the app on the right. Now, it's very subtle. It could probably stand out a bit more. I am not sure, though, if Apple should follow what some people are saying on Twitter, oh, just dim the other app. Hmm. Because one of the things about Split View is that you are effectively using two and seeing two apps at the same time. I'm not sure if I would want the app on the left or the app on the right to be a darker shade of gray or something, to be dimmed. Because I do like the fact that I am using two active apps simultaneously on screen. Mm -hmm. So maybe the indicator could be bigger. Maybe the flashing could be a bit more flashy or the color could be darker. I don't know. It's a start and it's better than before. Um, Hopefully Apple will iterate on this, but I think it's a good change. I think it's great. You know, I was thinking about how the Mac does it and apps that aren't, or windows that aren't in focus, they they, do, they go gray, the stoplight controls are, are, you know, grayed out. Yeah. And I think that makes sense on the Mac, but you're right. On the iPad, the, the split view apps are on more equal footing. Very often on the Mac, mm-hmm. you end up with apps behind and in front of each other. And in that arrangement, the way it works on the Mac makes more sense. So I agree with you that the graying out or like dimming, that doesn't feel like it's quite right. Um, I do wish maybe this was a little more noticeable. You know, maybe they could do like marching ants around the uh, active. I'm just kidding. That's a terrible idea. But uh, anyways, yeah, this is great. And it's about time because <laughs> this has been a problem for a long time. Yeah. Also, uh, this one is strange. Uh, there is a, a toggle in, I, in the new iOS 13 beta. And it lets you... It lets you enable attention correction yeah. for FaceTime. So I'm sure we've all been on video calls, uh, you know, on your iPhone or iPad, and you are looking at the screen and not the camera. So you're looking down or to the left or the right, not making eye contact with the other person. And this feature mm-hmm. uses ARKit. Yeah. To adjust where your eyes are looking, so you're looking at the camera. There's this Mac Rumors article with some embedded tweets, yeah. and uh, this guy very cleverly put a basically a wire in front of his face and moved it up and down so you can see where it's adjusting. Like the pitch of your eyes is very. It's cool, but it does feel a bit dystopian, though, doesn't it? Like in the a little in bit. the future, it'll always feel like we're looking at each other straight in the eye, even though we're actually looking at something else. I don't know. It feels a bit creepy in a way that I cannot quite describe. Like, I guess it's the idea that, yes, it's a toggle. You need to enable it manually. So it's not like Apple is imposing this feature on you. Mm-hmm. But the idea of let the software alter my appearance by showing you that I'm looking at you straight in the eye, even though I'm actually looking at something else on the screen completely. Like, I, I don't know. It, it it's, it's strange and unsettling, maybe a little, to me at least. It feels like something that, uh, you know, a writer on the Black Mirror team would come up with, maybe. Like, 
let's have a feature that pretends people look at each other <laughs> though they are actually looking at something it's, else it's know. a little weird but it's cool yeah i mean uh, it's cool though it's very cool it's a good it's a good demo yeah for sure it just showed up in beta 3 <laughs> here you go mm-hmm. we finished it uh so how is beta 3 you're running it on like seven devices how's it how's it going I'm running it on two devices so far. I still have... So my Mac does not have Catalina at this point. Um, and also my watch is still on... My watches actually are still on beta too. Uh, because, you know, updating the watchOS beta is a whole deal. Especially when you have two Apple watches, mm-hmm. you got to disable auto switch and then do the update. So, ah, it sucks. Um, it seems fine so far. Uh, the files app still a bit buggy um you know constantly and and apple actually mentioned this mentions this the icloud drive and icloud data uh there's still problems going on in ios 13 they are advising developers you know to to pay attention to their apps they use icloud the files app is buggy and um uh, i noticed for example that uh natural la- i don't know if this if if it's just me or if you know this is happening for other people as well but basically, natural language parsing is gone from reminders for me. Yikes! Used to be that used to be that you could, you know, in the new reminders app, you could enter, I don't know, call mom, and then you would type today, and today would be highlighted in blue, and you would get the suggestion in the quick type bar, and if you tapped it, uh, it would remove the string of text today and use it as a, as a date sort of like in fantastical but a bit more involved because you need to tap but all that is gone in beta 3 now i hope that it's a bug because apple made a big deal out of you know it's now super easy to have you know to have reminders interpret your dates and, mm-hmm. and times but as i mentioned on app stories the time was not working for me um like i could only type either today, tomorrow, or a specific day, like Monday or Friday. Um, I couldn't type Monday 2 p.m. or, you know, more in more complex natural language dates. So maybe they removed it because they're still working on it. Maybe they killed it because it's not ready yet. I really hope that it's just gone f- from Beta 3, which incidentally, Beta 3... This is quite strange also. Not available on the iPhone 7 and iPhone 7 Plus, but I saw somebody on Reddit that emailed Craig Federighi and he got a response saying, uh, sorry, uh, it'll come back for the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus Mm. in the future. Don't worry. So... Um, yeah, maybe the, I'm hoping that if anybody from from the reminders team is uh, listening to this, please don't kill that feature. Uh, I I really liked it. It's really convenient. Uh, you know, let me let me type my dates and times, please. Please. Um, I have some other uh, things that I wanted to mention about Beta Three, Stephen. Okay. There's a. I mean, we already mentioned how amazing Safari is in iOS 13 and especially iPadOS 13, but there's yet another addition to Safari. You can now tap and hold on a tab on the iPad and the iPhone if you open the tab view on the iPhone and turn your iPhone in landscape mode. Of course, that iPhone has to support landscape mode. It works on my Macs. I'm not sure if it works on other smaller phones. You can tap and hold on a tab and you'll get a menu that says um, close tab or uh, like... um, reorder tabs by website Mm. or reorder tabs by name 
So you have new options to reorder your tabs. I'm looking at this menu right now. You can arrange tabs by title, arrange tabs by website, or copy, or close other tabs. So if you want to just keep the current tab but close all of the other ones, that's also a button in this menu. It's really well done. It's really convenient. And again, uh, Safari in iPadOS, some excellent updates all around. And this new gesture is new in beta 3. Uh, in reminders, you, uh, as I mentioned, you cannot sort your lists at this point. Uh, for example, if you have something that is due today, but without a time, and something else that is due today at 2 p.m., those things, I feel like, should be sorted by time. Yes. But there's no, there's no sorting uh. menu inside. Yeah. Um, but you can now choose to... Sh- I don't know why people do this, but... Uh, I've got a few tweets about these people seem to be happy. You can show your completed reminders on a per list basis. Do you ever show your completed reminders, Stephen? No. It's in the past. Oh. I, li- I, mean, I live in the, the present. Exactly. You got to live in the present and the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But now you can do that. Um, finally, I haven't tried this personally, but I will test it tonight. Unfortunately, this doesn't make you know, any difference uh, in terms of the show because I'm saying this now and you know, tonight will be in the future and the future cannot be in an episode you are recording in the past. This is very confusing, but still, uh, I haven't tested, tested it personally, but you can now do audio sharing, you know, the feature that allows you to listen to music uh, along with a friend yeah. who's also wearing AirPods. Mm-hmm. Now that feature also works for other types of headphones. So if you want to share your audio between AirPods and Sony or Bose or other brands, Bluetooth headphones, that also works now. You just select multiple sources in Control Center. That's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. So if you have AirPods and your friend has some Sony headphones or something else or some other types of earbuds, you can now share audio even even if they're not AirPods, which is pretty neat. Is that audio limited to the music app or if I was listening to something in a po- in a podcast client, can I share it? Like I'm I'm not sure because it happens from Control Center, so I would think that it works for all kinds of audio. Yeah. I don't think huh. it's limited to the to the music app. I yeah. just wonder if you're like listening in a podcast client how it shares that audio like is it air playing from one phone to another if it's in the apple music library it just hands a url and it can play it i'm just curious how that works behind the scenes but yeah i have no idea maybe that'll be some follow-up once again once again haven't tested it but it should be it should be in the next episode as follow-up so sounds good uh, i'm gonna gonna test it with all the headphones that i have and see what happens. we're gonna have a nice headphone party over here (laughs) see what happens i'm putting at the top of the document 251 follow-up audio sharing Perfect. On iOS 13. Uh, you mentioned that you have not upgraded your watch. Uh, I saw on Twitter and we got got some, some notes that uh, going from beta 2 to beta 3 on the watch and then on the Mac, which I experienced myself, is difficult. On Catalina, I had to reboot several times and then just one of the times the update started to run. So like still early days, still a little bit rough. Uh, the watch beta is always rough. I mean, we say if you don't need this for your job, don't run it. That is like doubly true on the Apple Watch because uh, rolling back an Apple Watch, not really something you can do. And if it goes sideways, you're kind of stuck with a with a, a busted watch. So unless you are writing watch apps, I would say steer clear of that beta until uh, until it's out and in the world. Mm. 
Well, cool. I'm glad that it seems to be moving along. That's how things are supposed to work. I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting public beta two for my iPad Pro, and uh, I'm, I got to say, I'm feeling the call on my phone. I don't mm. want to do it. I have some travel at the end of the month, and I think I'm going to wait till after that. But uh, I'm already kind of like I want to try these things on multiple devices. But I'm I'm staying away for now. Mm. Mm. I'm going to try to be strong, Federico. I'm going to try. You should do it though. Thanks. It's. I mean. I mean, dark mode, it's very nice. You got the new shortcuts going on. I could send you a bunch of new shortcuts, which are really nice. And the automation stuff. Oh, this is actually something else that I wanted to mention. Sorry, before we okay. move on. No, no, please. Uh, NFC tags. Yes. So these, uh, these were previously announced as an automation trigger for the new shortcuts app. Uh, there's an article on Mac Stories. That where Ryan listed all of the different triggers that you can now use in shortcuts for automation. To explain that for a second, this is a way to to kick off yes. a shortcut. So instead of yes. going to push a button, maybe you have this NFC tag on uh you know on your desk and you tap your phone to it and that causes automation to happen. Yes, gotcha. Uh, it's one of the new one of the new triggers uh, in the automation section of the Shortcuts app, which is now built into iOS 13. And in Beta 3, um, NFC tags support background execution of your shortcuts, which is amazing. So I placed a couple of tags on my desk. Um, actually, I got to come up with a better solution to label them or to remember what they do. <laughs> but basically, what you do is you... Any NFC tag is supported by Shortcut. When you set up an automation, you go to the automation section and you say, okay, I want to set up an NFC tag automation. You scan, the, you scan the tag from the Shortcuts app, you give it a name, and then you choose some actions. The first tag, which is actually the official Shortcuts one that Apple was giving, you know, Shortcuts engineers were giving away at WWDC. Um, this I set up to set the playback uh, device as one of my home pods get a playlist from my apple music library and sh- shuffle that playlist and play it through the home pod now when i tap this tag so my phone is not you know the shortcut app is not open i can just tap my phone on this tag and i get a notification that says running your automation and in the background, Shortcuts is connecting to the HomePod, getting a playlist, shuffling that playlist and playing that on the HomePod. No interaction necessary, which is incredible. The second tag, which, is, which I stuck to the right side of my desk, uh, when I tap it with my phone, it runs... In, this is the podcast recording NFC automation. When I tap it, it runs my shortcut for recording podcasts, which means that Shortcuts looks into my calendar, see which, which podcast I'm supposed to record, and runs a bunch of scripts, including Keyboard Maestro macros and some Apple scripts, to set up my Mac Mini exactly the way I like it for mm, podcasting, mm-hmm. which means opening a bunch of Safari windows, opening QuickTime, Audio Hijack, Skype, and all of that. All of this in the background, the Shortcuts app does not launch, nothing happens. It even sets my lights to purple, because Shortcuts is now has even better um, integration with the with HomeKit in iOS 13, mm-hmm. and it um, turns off the air purifier that I have set up with HomeKit, which is otherwise too noisy for doing podcasts. So 
It's incredible. And I'm thinking now, because, you know, having background execution removes a lot of friction that was previously involved with having like NFC tags in, for example, Launch Center Pro. Having background execution, which, you know, unfortunately, it is not available to third-party developers. Uh, This is a shortcuts-only feature. I sort of understand why Apple is doing this in that, you know, granting background execution privileges for this kind of automation probably cannot happen all at once. Probably Apple wants to roll it out as as an exclusive feature first, see how it goes and maybe open it up to developers. I don't know you know what the policy is in regards to that still i'm now thinking of all the different ways that i can you know stick a bunch of nfc stickers all all over my apartment Mm -hmm. maybe even in my car maybe even on me you know i don't know like imagine all the things that i could automate if like i had a hidden nfc tag i don't know in my wallet or like in the back of the 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 apple watch band like, I don't know, yeah. tap this tag in case of emergency or something. Or embed it in your arm. Now you made it just, now you made it weird. Wow. Okay. See, why, why did you need to make it weird? There, there are all sorts of triggers, though. So you have, like, time of day. Yes. You can yes. set a trigger automation when a particular alarm goes off. So, like, you could have one that yep. when your morning alarm goes off at 7, it also turns your lights on and starts your HomePod. Like, <laughs> you can... Yeah. Uh, this is really neat. This is something that, like... Keyboard and my show and other tools have had launched in a pro, but uh, now it being part of shortcuts and it can it effectively means shortcuts can run in the background and you can fire them whenever and that's really exciting. And the, and the background thing, just to clarify, it only it's only supported for triggers that originate from an action that you performed in the physical world manually. So. Turning off your alarm in the morning. That's something that you need to physically do with your hands. Right. Tapping an, N- an NFC tag. It's not like you have NFC tags flying around. You need to bring your phone close to the tag and do it. Or opening an app. That's also a trigger. Like anytime you open a specific app, run a shortcut. Yeah, yeah. But opening apps is something that you need to do manually. So a- Anytime you open Twitter, cut the power to the wireless router. You know? Exactly. Or my my automation was every time I open Twitter, uh, put on some relaxing music or stuff like that. Things that you do manually support background invisible execution of shortcuts that don't require confirmation. Environment-based conditions. So things outside of your control, like a time of day, yeah. of course. Like you're not God, you're not controlling time. You're not, you know, this, <laughs> you know, this entity that controls everything uh so time just happens and therefore you need to confirm a shortcut or your location changes you can make the argument that yes you if your location changes it's because you're moving around and actually changing your location but it's something that you may be doing in like not necessarily intentionally Uh, that maybe you're not looking at your phone right right so if your location changes or a time you know it's Mm -hmm. 11 o'clock and your thing goes off yeah. Will it come on the lock screen and then you have to confirm you want the shortcut to run? You get a notification. You need to confirm okay. that. So yes. that's the difference. So things. So either way, there's a user interaction. You either tap a tag or leave CarPlay or something. Exactly. But then yes. time, location, you have to confirm before the automation runs. So it's not... Yes. Uh, I would say, so in the background, it's not the right way to say it, but it is It is basically like a, like a double confirmation that you want to run. Yes. Okay. And for the, for the environment-based uh, triggers, you literally don't have the option that says, 
don't ask to run. Like you have that option only for things that you performed manually. Okay. But for time of day, location, and I think something else, uh, you don't. You just don't have that option. It's just not there. Uh, but for the other ones, you can choose. Either you always want to be notified and manually confirm, or you can disable it. Because, you know, if I'm tapping a tag, I know that I'm tapping the tag to run a shortcut. That's, you know, that's the idea. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Anything else with the beta that's uh, burning in your mind? Not right now. So I guess we're just going to wait for beta 4 and see what happens. Okay. This episode of Connected is also brought to you by AstroPad Studio. AstroPad Studio turns your iPad into a completely customizable graphics tablet, so you can combine the power of the Apple Pencil and your favorite Mac apps right on your iPad. The makers behind AstroPad understand that no two artists work alike. That's why they've packed AstroPad with opportunities to customize every aspect of your workflow. With features like programmable gestures, custom pressure curves, and unlimited per-app shortcuts. They literally designed AstroPad from the ground up for professional artists. And they guarantee low latency performance over Wi-Fi or USB, so you can set up your workspace on the go. It's a high-performance tool for the most demanding creative work. And it's used by major animation studios and product design firms across the globe. So when you're ready to take your creative workflow to the next level, you can start a 30-day free trial of AstroPad Studio today. And just you just got to go over to astropad.com to get started. That's astropad.com for a free 30-day trial. So go check it out. Our thanks to AstroPad Studio for their support of Connected and all of Relay FM. So how is the review coming? Um, it's coming along in the sense that I finished the mind map. So I spent three weeks, a couple of weeks, three weeks, I think basically since I came back from WWDC, just taking notes, using the betas, um, watching a few sessions, uh, we're going to talk about that um, and just taking notes and organizing my notes. Then uh, over the weekend, but especially on Monday and yesterday on Tuesday, I sat down and converted all of my notes to the mind map in using MindNode. I think I have 12 chapters, so tends to be in line with, pre- with iOS 12 at least. You know, the process of converting my notes to map is always a good opportunity for me to understand What's, what's the structure that I want to give to this review? What's the extent of a certain topic or what are some areas that maybe I don't want to cover in my review? Maybe there should be articles on Mac stories in the summer. So com- manually converting those notes, you know, curating those mm. notes is a good exercise for me in, in, in understanding what direction the review is taking. So my map is now complete. Um, and I think I'm going to start writing, start writing tomorrow. Okay. So, uh, July 4th, actually, so a holiday in the U S I'm going to start, uh, with the introduction and just go from there. Uh, I feel pretty positive about, uh, I, 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 I know roughly what the, what the underlying theme of the review is going to be. Once again, it's going to be a single review. It's going to be called iOS and iPadOS 13, not doing separate reviews. Okay. And as in, as last year, uh, shortcuts, even more so because now it's a built-in app, will be part of the review. Um, something that I, that I've, if you've been following my reviews for the past few years, you probably have noticed this. I've not 
moved away, but I've I've been doing less and less technical talk um, in terms of describing APIs or you know uh, describing certain developer frameworks in depth. It just doesn't make for good entertainment, and it just doesn't make for useful material for people to look back and understand what is new in in a new version of iOS. Um, mostly because I'm not any better than Apple at describing the changes of an API. I don't write a developer documentation guide. I write a review. And so something that I've been trying to do more and more, that I think I hit a good balance last year with, with iOS 12, is to write a review for the people, for folks who are interested in, in the details of a new version of iOS, but who are not necessarily developers, who are not necessarily programmers. And so that's something that I've been keeping in mind this year. For example, I was looking at the documentation for how multi-window is going to work on iPad, on, on iPad for iPadOS. And then I realized, you know, do I need to know the details of how UI scene works or what's the this concept of an app life cycle? What it means? No, I want to know how it works in practice. Because when people are using iPadOS, they're going to want to know how does it actually work when I open multiple windows for notes or mail or reminders. They don't, they, they're not interested in the idea of, oh, this is actually based on scenes and scenes do this and that. Uh, that's a mistake that I, that I made in the past. You can make the argument that maybe some sections of my iOS 11 review were had exactly this problem, and I and I think I learned my lesson there uh, because I feel you know I do feel a responsibility at this point of there's people that are gonna look back on this review and read it maybe even multiple times maybe even after a few months since it came out to understand what was new in a version of iOS an API talk just isn't that useful for people. And so the review that I will write this year will continue that that approach of less developer talk, more practical discussion, and actually a review, which means personal opinions, personal thoughts and examples, actual examples, not API examples, you know? So um I, I feel positive about that. Um, in terms of my writing setup, uh, ideally, I would like to do exactly what I did for my iPad story from May and use a combination of IA Writer and Scriptable for writing mm-hmm. and story and, and saving screenshots um, in a subdirectory of IA Writer and storing everything in working copy so that I could have a backup on GitHub and an additional layer of backup in Dropbox as well. Um, the problem is right now, IA Writer has some serious problems with iCloud Drive in the iPadOS beta and the iOS beta. For example, folders don't look like folders. They look like files that you cannot open. So, <laughs> yeah, there's that. So uh, hopefully the IA Writer folks will be able to work around these issues during the summer or maybe a future beta will just fix these problems. I don't know. Right now, I'm probably going to be using drafts because I already have a drafts beta 
with support for iOS 13 features. But I really like, and this is not, you know, I, I, I mean, I used drafts last year. I just ended up creating what is for me specifically a superior setup because of the integration with scriptable and and screenshots embedded inside of the markdown story and i cannot do that with drafts it's just not possible um also steven i have a second iphone oh oh <laughs> no is that for uh nighttime calls evening evening business i bought a 10s max <laughs> That I'm using to run iOS 12 for screenshot comparison. Why didn't you just get like an iPhone 7? Like, why did you have to go to the big one and the okay. expensive one? Okay, so I realize that I am lazy. I'm a lazy person. Um, in previous years, I was reaching out to friends and family asking them to take screenshots on my behalf because I only had a single iPhone Mm -hmm. running iOS, say iOS 11 or iOS 12, and I would ask him, hey, can you open this app or can you open this screen, take a screenshot for me and send it to me in full resolution either via mail or messages. And I was wasting so much time just talking to people and asking them, begging them for screenshots. You know, because I asked you, I asked Mike, I asked John, I asked everybody. At some point, I asked publicly on Twitter. That's no way to live. That's no way to work. I just want to have a setup where I can take all the screenshots myself. And specifically this year, there are some design changes that I would like to make sure I can clearly show in the review with comparisons between iOS 12 and iOS 13. I didn't want to get... I tried before. Why don't you use an older and smaller iPhone and use your latest big iPhone for the beta? It just doesn't look good. You know, when you do those screenshots comparisons, especially with the with the template that I have, you end up with the small phone on the left side and the big phone on the right side. It just doesn't look nice. It looks, you know, it bothers me visually. And and I cannot work in an environment that bothers me, <laughs> like physically bothers sure. me. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to buy an iPhone. And by September, I'm going to sell it. And it appears that thanks to Sylvia, who was very upset and surprised about my decision to buy a second iPhone, uh, it appears that we already have a buyer. So fingers crossed, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll be able to sell this phone quickly. She's going to throw in a HomePod in that deal too. Better be careful. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's very patient with me. <laughs> I will be able to take screenshots very quickly. And honestly, I think I can generate... Uh, thanks to that template, which, by the way, Sylvia makes for me. Um, so thank you. Um, with that template, I will be able to create a, a comparison graphic in like 45 seconds because I have the other phone myself. Sure. Which is very nice. And I save a lot of time. And saving time is always my priority in the summer. Yeah, I think having a uh, having the screenshots be the same makes a lot of sense. So Yeah. And it just makes sense to have a to have a you know the latest hardware as a testing device because you know I need to be extremely pre- precise again because I feel a responsibility of you know all these people looking over my review and looking into the details and I want to make sure that 
what I read about is exactly right. You know, down to the individual feature or setting, being able to say, this is new in iOS 13, and you get the, the person saying, no, actually, it was added in iOS 12.4 or something. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, no, now I got to fix it and, and generate the ebook again. And, you know, I, I need to make sure that I'm, extre- that I'm exactly right about all of the options, all of the features. So that there's that aspect and just being able to take those screenshots quickly and generate those graphics quickly. It just made sense to get a second iPhone, which is like my other iPhone, but it's just for testing. Cool beans. I'm excited to see this come together. Really excited. Thank you. What about yours? Are you going to do <laughs> a, Car- a Carolina review? I've been thinking about it. But uh, mm. I think what I'm going to end up doing is more like what I did with Mojave, where I just covered certain aspects of it as sort of a series. So I wrote about dark mode and a couple other things. So I want to review reminders. I want to talk about the security stuff. Uh, but I don't know if I've got the the time or energy to do a full-blown review. And, and also, I think mm. as macOS continues to mature, I'm just not sure it's as necessary as it once was, like when John Syracuse was doing his and it was a big change year after year. So uh, I think at this point I'm leaning towards having uh, a series of sort of feature articles about it as as it comes out later this fall. But uh, we'll see. I'm still sort of in the planning stages of that. Yeah, I think that's potentially a good idea. It gives you the time to do multiple stories during the summer, you know, and, you know, it you you don't maybe you don't necessarily feel the responsibility of doing these massive reviews yeah. which you know and i can tell you it's a lot of stress uh-huh. right especially it in is. summer when you just go and go to the beach or to the lake and you know yeah yeah i've done so. several i mean they were you know a long time ago yeah i mean like in the mountain lion you know sort of i think it was my first big one on 512 so it's kind of that era um but we'll we'll see how it goes i, I may i may end up walking through some of these feature articles like an outline and realizing that it's not that much more work just to do a full review so time will tell all right we have one last topic today and uh, i wanted to to bring this up because it's it's probably going to go by uh in this news cycle so i wanted to kind of grab it out of the stream while it was going on so eddie q was interviewed uh by gq magazine about his role in various products at apple and i kind of broke it down into apple tv uh, Apple TV content, and then music. So mm. it's a good article. You should go check it out. It's in the show notes. Uh, but remember that that story a while back, people, someone had reported that Apple executives like Tim Cook and others were making comments on the scripts for Apple TV shows. You know, the, the, I think the, yes. the sort of the thing was, you know, Tim said someone told someone not to be so mean and <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and Q goes on the record in the saying that that is uh, not true. He says, I'm going to quote, there's never been one note passed from us on scripts that I can assure you, we leave the folks alone who know what they're doing. Uh, he mm-hmm. being Tim Cook did not say, don't be so mean. He hasn't ever said anything about a script. What do you think? That's pretty strong language for Medi-Q. It, it, uh, it, it is, he's on the record saying, I can assure you that was a hundred percent false. So um, it's very strong language. I mean, sure, okay. Uh, 
it, I'm assuming this is true because like but then again I don't know could be true could be could be not true uh, maybe it's just saying the things that people want to hear you know that the the the, the Apple TV plus service means uh, complete creative freedom for the folks who are actually making the TV shows and the movies um, if is if it is true good news it means that we will not necessarily have a service that was, uh, let's just say, again, curated by Apple, you know, with some strong hints as to what kind of content Apple wants to see, which leads us into the next uh, quote, I guess, mm-hmm. from about Apple TV Plus content, about the, what's it called, the morning show? Yes. The, the Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston show with the participation of... Steve Carell. Yeah, I was about to say Michael Scott. I've been watching the I've been watching the office. Yeah. Which by the way, sorry, quick tangent. I am so upset. I didn't know that Michael Scott is gone for the last two seasons. Spoiler alert. Somebody I mean, yeah, spoiler alert. Somebody should have told me this. I am very upset and sad. Keep watching. Yeah, I guess. You got to keep going. No, no, no. It's worth there that's rough for a little while but then it it comes back strong okay Ah, that's good to hear so anyway anyway uh what did he say about um oh so so he said uh in the context of you know people think apple tv plus is going to be all family friendly content so he says uh this is a show about women in the workplace and some of the issues are definitely not appropriate to watch with an eight-year-old and uh so the the reporter's like, well, what do you mean? What would not be appropriate? And Q says, the language and a few other things, but I don't want to spoil it. So uh, I don't know what this means. Like, uh, I think that mm. if Apple's going to have a a broad set of content, they, they need at some point to go beyond family-friendly stuff. And you look at some of the most popular shows and streaming, you know, streaming and not over the last five years, very few of those you should watch with an eight-year-old probably none of them. And is Apple going to play in, in that area? You know, Apple has sort of a a reputation for being sort of family friendly. And I think that's, a, I think it's fine. You know, I, 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 I like that about them, but uh, this is a different ball game. So we will see what this means. You know, obviously we just don't know until these shows are out. Uh, I will say I continue to look forward to this show. I think, I think the morning show is going to, to me, at least seeing what they, what they've shown off as one of the most interesting ones to me, that one in the show about uh, Russia beating us to the moon. But uh, Pat, th- those two are the ones I'm looking forward to. So uh, I guess uh, we can report back on the language that's used and if we think it's appropriate or not. There's a fascinating parallel um, between what Apple is saying here and what Nintendo, for example, has been doing on the eShop. Uh, we we talked about this uh, on the latest episode of Remaster, also here on Relay FM, about how surprising it was to see The Witcher 3, which is a very popular RPG game, come to, to Nintendo Switch. And of course, The Witcher 3 is an, uh, an RPG with some adult elements, like some nudity and sex scenes um which is you know exactly the type of game that you would imagine not being on nintendo platform nintendo being you know the family friendly kid friendly company but you know if nintendo wants to play uh in in the modern uh, gaming ecosystem because they realize that the switch is a massive success they need to open up a bit more and they need to have this kind of more mature 
content. Um, of course, Nintendo is not making, you know, these types of games themselves. It's not like Nintendo is making an adult version of Mario or, you know, it's not like Nintendo suddenly has violence in Pokemon or anything like that. But huh. if third parties want to bring these games over to a Nintendo platform, it feels like they're opening up a bit more. Mm -hmm. Now, does it mean that we're going to see GTA or that kind of stuff on the eShop? Probably not yet. But over time, it feels like the right thing to do because people like choice. And so when it comes to a streaming service, same metric is valid. People like choice. People want, want family-friendly content. People want more mature content. And I think that's the right thing to do, to not, you know... Uh, interfere with what um, a director has in mind or what screenwriters have in mind to say, oh, actually, don't use this expression or don't use these words because that, that just, uh, that's just uh, you know, a detriment to the final product mm -hmm. to have Tim Cook peering over, peeking over your shoulder at the script and be like, don't be so mean, change this, <laughs> change this line. You know? That sounds awful. So I hope that what Eddie, what Eddie is saying is actually true. And uh, there's, he goes on talking about Apple Music. Uh, he compares uh, Apple Music and iTunes to the iPhone and iPod. There's a quote. It's like, we don't sell many iPods these days. <laughs> no kidding, Eddie Q. Um, uh, but he says something really interesting about the iTunes music store. He said, we had a very successful business. People were still buying. It was still growing. And so I think we did it, it being Apple Music, uh, at the right time. Could we have done it a year earlier? I'm happy with the results. Like, was iTunes Music still growing when they launched Apple Music a couple of years ago? Like, I, I just, I don't know what his time frame here is, but mm. Apple is so interesting that very often they kill their most popular products. You know, you saw that a lot in the iPod era. You saw them do it with Apple Music and the iTunes Music Store, which, you know, he says was still very successful. That's something that Apple's not afraid of. I just I, I have long wondered about that relationship between the two and like was iTunes Music Store on a downward, you know, was the curve going down on the chart of money it was making and Apple Music has brought it back up, or was it sort of a, a seamless handoff? I just don't know. We'll probably will never know. But I thought it was interesting that he said, Yeah, actually like it was still doing pretty well and then we decided to to do this other thing. Yeah, we should look at, I guess, at least for the US, at data from Nielsen uh, to see if the iTunes store and digital downloads were actually growing. When Apple Music launched in 2015, that would be an interesting item for follow-up. I'm sure that the data can be found somewhere. Um, but as you mentioned, I wouldn't be surprised if Apple actually killed the product, and in this case, a service that was still growing because they felt like streaming was the right horse to bet on for the future. So that would be in typical Apple fashion. I just I would like to see the data to back this up, though. So we should probably look into that, at least for the US. It's something that could be easily found uh, because Nielsen and other agencies, they have these um, reports that come out at the mm -hmm. end of the year showing the state of the music industry. So that could, that could be interesting. Or maybe it's just, you know, it's just saying, yeah, by growing, it means it was still doing well, you know, yeah. in ADQ speak. Yeah. Hey, what does that actually mean? <laughs> you know, anyways. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. Um, and then it well, ends. The, let's get to the best part, though. It's 
been rumored and joked about that Eddie Q falls asleep in falls asleep in meetings, and <laughs> he says that. Oh, he jokes. He apparently feigns falling asleep during the question, which like Eddie Q just seems like a guy that anyone can hang out with. Like, <laughs> you know, you know exactly. You know what? This is funny. This is funny because I imagine Eddie Q as the fun and lovable guy that everybody likes to hang out with, and you know he likes dancing. And, you know, you have a good time, you go out for drinks, maybe you go to the club, maybe, you know, you go to see a basketball game, but then he gets so tired and he falls asleep <laughs> like a baby. <laughs> That's what makes it funny for yeah. me. So he, he jokes about it and he goes on to say that, uh, yeah, you know, it's pretty funny. I'm sure I've fallen asleep. Everyone has. But thankfully, we don't have too many boring meetings at Apple. <laughs> he doesn't deny it. Which is, which is a great approach i think mm -hmm. i'm sure i mean i'm sure every, i'm sure everybody has that that's perfect and uh yeah i mean uh props to to eddie for owning you know uh what was reported about him uh you know i feel like th this is uh you know it's nice to see this kind of honesty <laughs> from eddie um uh, i wonder what those boring meetings were all about though mm. uh i think the article mentions uh siri Meeting? Yeah, I think that's the one that he supposedly fell asleep in was uh, a uh, a meeting about Siri. Anyways, mm. Eddie Q out there, that can be boring. He's doing mm. his thing. I wanna, I wanna, uh, I would like to see more, you know, interviews with Eddie Q. More, more of Eddie Q out in the open doing things. Eddie Q, Eddie Q should have a podcast. He should have a podcast, Eddie. We can help you with that. You know where to find me. I wonder if you're Apple PR, which. Apple executive going to an interview makes you the most nervous, right? Like, oh, that's a good question. Craig Federighi sometimes says things and you can tell that he shouldn't say them. Eddie Q feels like he could be in that same category. That Just kind of a loose cannon, maybe. I don't know. I mean, outside of, outside of Tim Cook, because, you know, of course he's the CEO and, you know, but of, of, of the other executives, I would say that probably Eddie Q mm -hmm. is the one that you gotta, you know, keep a close eye on. I think I agree. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, there's that. Eddie Q, go check it out. Doing his, doing his Eddie Q thing all over the internet. Mm -hmm. I think that does it this week, Federico. We did it. We did it without Mike. Even without Mike. Don't need him. You know, he should come back at some point. I miss him a little bit. Just a little. If you want to find links to the stuff we spoke about, head on over to the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 250. While you're there, you can get in touch. There's an email link there, or of course, you can find us on Twitter. Federico is there as Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, -I -I, and he writes MacStories.net. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH and my blog at 512pixels.net. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Away, and AstroPad Studio. And until next week, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Adios.